It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Oh, well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, well, Eric and the family are out on uh, vacation for a couple of weeks, so I figured while uh, they're on vacation, we're going to do a little mini-series. Woo! I'm so excited. <clears throat> and uh, I was just praying and pondering uh, what we should look at, at least for this week, and uh, next week, uh, maybe something else. But uh, this week, I want to focus on a, one of my favorite topics to talk about, which is Jesus. Uh, but specifically, in terms of Jesus, uh, one of the things, if you ever spend any time around me, uh, is I keep bringing up this idea or this even sp- specific word. I love this word. It's my favorite word in the Greek language, uh, and it's the word gnosko. And uh, if you ever were a student here, uh, obviously I bring this up all the time, and we use it in a lot of the sessions. And, uh, and for me, the idea of gnosko has become so foundational in my life. In fact, there's rarely a day that goes by where I don't think about the concept. Uh, it's rare that I don't just ponder the reality of what does it mean to have Gnosko with Jesus. In fact, if you look at any of the sessions I teach at Ellerslie, uh, the undercurrent of almost every session somehow points back to the idea of Gnosko. And at least so at least in my life, this has become very powerful. And uh, it, was, it was interesting, this last weekend I, was, I had the opportunity, I was in South Carolina, I just got back really, really late last night, and Manly uh, in South Carolina at a conference, and it was so delightful. I love Stephen, and and uh, I, we were pondering, we were having lunch one day, and I just said, hey, do you recognize that it was 15 years ago that I traveled with you? So I, I heard him probably about 20, 25 years ago the first time, which means I'm getting old. <laughs> it's amazing how time flies. But uh, we were sitting there, and he just was like, man, you know, he's getting older, and he's, you know, he's 77 now, and, and uh, he was just, we were talking about age and all this kind of stuff, and I said, I said, wow, can you believe it's been 15 years since I traveled with you, and, and the word of God live in my life, and God just turned my world upside down, and all that kind of stuff, and we were laughing, and, and uh, I realized, because uh, in one of the sessions that I was teaching, I just mentioned Gnosko really quickly, at least that concept, and uh, it dawned on me, the first time I started studying out that concept was 15 years ago, during the summer I was traveling with Stephen, and uh, I remember one of the churches that I got to speak at that summer, which I feel really bad for them at the time, but <clears throat> one of the churches I got to speak t- to, um, I gave the very first presentation of my session, Gnosko. And obviously it's morphed and changed and developed since then, uh, and I've probably given it hundreds and hundreds of times <laughs> at this point. But what's interesting about the idea of Gnosko, <clears throat> and again, I'm, I'm, not usually a f- I'm not usually a fan of the preachers who keep, you know, they have one message and they preach it over and over and over, and it's like that's their only message, and, and you're just like, yeah, I've heard that. But what's interesting in my life is that message has never grown dull. It has only deepened, which is actually the whole concept of Gnosko. <coughs> the more I've gone into the idea of Gnosko, the more it has enriched my life, the more it has deepened in my life, and the more I want it. I, I, want, the, I, I want the concept more now than I did 15 even years ago. And it's been interesting just looking back at the last 15 years as I've just been reflecting this weekend, just seeing what God has done in my life and the depths that he has brought me to and just the insights he has given because of this concept. And so what I wanted to do this week <coughs> is kind of bring you into the concept, and uh, I wanted to look at some different aspects. I've been re-studying out just kind of the idea, just even for my own personal life, and looking at what does it mean to truly gnosko Jesus. 
So what I want to do this morning then is, uh, I'm not going to give you the session gnosko. I may do that tomorrow. But we're not going to go through the session gnosko. But I do want to talk about knowledge. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to see a few of these passages. Uh, the first one's going to be in Acts chapter 1. Uh, it's interesting, when you get into the Greek language, and we say this often, but uh, English, when you look at the English language, and if you've ever studied any other language, you'll notice that English is a very thin language. <laughs> it's, just, it's kind of actually a dumb language. It's, it's kind of a hodgepodge of almost all these languages. <clears throat> but it's interesting, when you look at English, English is a very thin language. Uh, in fact, it takes us a lot of words to say the same thing that other languages can say very simply. Uh, and you can obviously see that comparison with English and Hebrew or English and Greek. Uh, Hebrew is very picturesque. Uh, the Hebrews loved imagery. The, the Hebrews loved just these, these words that had these depth and meaning to it that you give this word and it's just like there's this whole reality and concept contained in the word. Uh, Greek is very similar. Uh, Greek is thick language, just like Hebrew. Uh, Greek is a very picturesque language where every word in the Greek paints some sort of a picture which is really good for people. And uh, one of those concepts uh, is this idea of knowledge. Now, we have words in English, like uh, the classic example is love, right? We have the word love in English. We have the word like, but technically love is, we have the word love. But in Greek, there was primarily four different Greek words for the word love to convey the depth of that word. Again, Greek was a very deep language. In fact, what they would do just for fun down on the street corners is that uh, they would debate philosophy, <laughs> which is insane to me because why would you want to debate philosophy? But they had a language that allowed them to deba debate philosophy. And uh, you'll, you'll notice that a lot of the great philosophers came out of the Greek culture. You have Aristotle, Aristotle and Plato and all that kind of stuff uh, because it was a language that actually allowed them to think philosophically. And it was a very deep language. Now, the word knowledge, uh, it's interesting when you study knowledge, specifically in the Koine Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, uh, there's a whole bunch of words for knowledge, but they all come back to basically three main concepts or three main words. Again, there's some other derivatives of these, but there, there are three main words for the word knowledge. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about those three words for the word knowledge and show you some examples in Scripture, just kind of lay a foundation for where we're heading uh, this week with this idea of just what does it mean to know Jesus. Uh, so the first one, <clears throat> again, shows up in Acts chapter 1. Uh, one of the words for knowledge is the Greek word nostos. And uh, if you're taking notes, uh, it's spelled G-N-O-S-T-O-S. -O uh, nostos uh, has this idea, it's actually where we get the word Gnosticism from. Uh, Gnosticism had this, uh, it was a twist, uh, it was a perversion, uh, it, was, it was a heresy in the early church. But basically, it was the idea of dumping uh, the physical. Physical was evil. Physical was bad. Uh, the mind, it was all about the mind. It was all about knowledge. And so the idea was that Jesus came, but he didn't come in the flesh. It was kind of this vision kind of a thing. Or, uh, hey, your flesh, it's, it's evil. So let's try to remove as much of the flesh reality of our life. But you realize that's not true. Uh, God made the flesh. In fact, he looked at your flesh and called it good. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know? Because I like, I like the little flesh that I got. Uh, you know, and that, by the way, that flesh is very different than what Paul talks about with flesh in the New Testament. He's talking about sinful nature. He's talking about the corruption of the spirit. He's talking about the sinful man idea. 
And that word in Scripture is also the flesh. So it gets confusing, you know, because flesh is evil. Yes, it is. But we're not talking about the physical flesh. We're talking about the spiritual, uh, sinful reality thing in our lives. Uh, so Gnosticism, that's where that word came from, is the word Gnostos. And again, the word Gnostos, if you're going to give a definition to it, the word Gnostos has this idea of facts, data, and information. It's just mere, mere academics kind of stuff. Now, there's nothing wrong with academics. There's nothing wrong with uh, facts, data, and information. There's nothing wrong with learning. Please learn. <laughs> we want you to learn. In fact, come to Ellerslie so you can learn, right? We're going to give you academics. There's nothing wrong with academics. Uh, and, and this word... Uh, again, it's this idea of, uh, it's, it's information. You, you pick up a science textbook and you read about the weather and how the weather is formed. And you go, oh, I know that. How do you know that? Well, it's because I read it in a textbook. Uh, my favorite example this morning, I pick up the newspaper. This is not true, I'm making this up. But I picked up the newspaper and it said that the president had tea with the queen. Oh, that excites me. Why? Because I've always wanted to have tea with the queen. But she's never invited me over. I keep asking. She denies my request. She's like, no, I'm not having you over. So the president had tea with the queen. Well, how do I know that? So did I like peer through the windows of Buckingham Palace and see the president have tea with the queen? No, I'd probably be shot. No, no, obviously that's not true. How did I know that? Well, it was data, right? I picked up a piece of newspaper and I read a headline, right? President had tea with the queen. He had peppermint. She had chamomile, right? It was, it was wonderful. I don't know what she drinks, but I'm making up, right? It's just information. Uh, You realize that uh, that's important in your Christian life. You need to have information. You need to study the Word of God. How are you going to do that? At some level, it's going to be information. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it better be more than that. So, I mean, over the years, I've downplayed the academics, and, and, and for good reason in my mind, but it's not to a diminishment of the academics. I'm constantly learning. I love taking classes. I love learning tidbits and facts and information, all that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's, it, it's edifying. It presses me somewhere. But it's not academics for the end result of academics. Because if all you ever have is the academics, what, what good is that in your life? I know a ton of people who are so brilliant in academics and they are so dumb in the reality of life. So it's not... It's not a triumph of academics as if academics is the end all. There's nothing wrong with academics. So please hear me. Please study. Please get in the word. Know the Bible stories. Hey, learn Greek and Hebrew if if you want to. Right? You you should know the word of God in an academic sense. But the end goal of Bible study, and we're going to talk about this later this week, the end goal of Bible study is not the academic. It's something far beyond that. That's so important. Uh, One example of where this word uh, Nostos shows up is in Acts chapter 1. Now again, uh, Jesus has died, he rose from the grave, and in verses 9 through 11, he ascended, in, he, he ascended into heaven. And uh, Peter and, and the whole group get, gathers together in the upper room, and they're giving the first business meeting of the early church. So if you can imagine, Jesus leaves, and the first thing they have is a business meeting. But here they are, they're gathering in the upper room, <clears throat> and uh, they realize that Judas went out and hung himself, and they need to replace this disciple or this apostle position from Judas. And so Peter stands up, by the way, which is a sign of humility in Peter, because in this culture, if you were going to take authority, you would sit down. And so it's interesting that it says that Peter stood up in verse 15, which means that he's actually, he's coming with, 
with humility. He's coming with his, his hat in his hand, and he's just saying, hey, guys, I have a suggestion. I had this idea, and he makes this statement of, hey, we, we're going to have to replace this apostle known as Judas because there's this position. There's supposed to be 12 apostles. There's this position of apostleship that needs to be replaced, <clears throat> and he makes this statement uh, in verse 18 referring to Judas. He says, now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the reward or the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. <laughs> That's so gruesome. It's horrible. I, mean, I didn't write it, though, just for clarity's sake. And look at verse 19. Peter says, and it became known to all the people or all the residents in Jerusalem. And that field is called, in their language, the field of blood. Peter says, here's Judas, and Judas betrayed Christ, and then Judas, with the money, the wages of iniquity, went out, bought, bought the, they, bought, they bought the field, the, the Pharisees bought the field, but he really hung himself, and his, his entrails gushed down. <laughs> but look at verse 19 again. Everyone in Jerusalem knew about it. Oh, they knew about it. Oh, how'd they know about it? Well, they were all best friends with Judas, and they were all at the field going, go, 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 go. Oh, of course not. That wasn't happening. <laughs> Hopefully not, right? Now, you understand this is the time of the Passover, right? This is the big feast, so all these people would have come to Jerusalem. The, the city would have swelled. It would have multiplied three, four times the normal size of the city, right? There's probably hundreds of thousands of people in the city. And if it became known to all the residents in Jerusalem, you, you know not every single person knew Judas. Not every single person shook his hand. Not every person ever said hi. Most people have probably never seen Judas in their life. So how do they all know about it? Well, that's easy. That morning, they all woke up. They went outside. They, they saw this tablet called, you know, Jerusalem Times. And on the front page, right, it said, Judas hung himself. Entrails gushed out. There's a little sketch of him, right? This little, they didn't have pictures, so maybe it's a little stick figure thing with his entrails gushing out, right? Sorry, that was a gruesome thought. <clears throat> right? And they all knew about it. But how did they know about it? Well, they didn't know Judas. There was no personal interaction. How did they know, how did they know this? It was just data. It was just facts. It's information. It's, it's a newspaper kind of a thing. So, again, that, that's the first word for the word knowledge in Greek. Nostos. Again, it's facts, data, and information. There's nothing wrong with nostos. There's, there's something wrong with Gnosticism, for clarity's sake, from earlier. But there's nothing wrong with Gnostos. There's nothing wrong with facts. Learn facts. I love facts. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, yesterday I was flying home from the South Carolina trip, and uh, I was watching this documentary. I was learning facts. And one of the things I learned, I thought this was so cool. You're, you're going to love this. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem sits on 36 acres. I was like, I didn't realize it was that big. I mean, I knew it was big because it takes a long time to walk around. But it's 36 acres. And it was supposedly, in terms of one building project, it was the largest building project that the Roman Empire ever took on. And I was like, huh. The Colosseum in Rome sits on six acres. And they were just talking about this idea that when you looked at the, the Temple Mount and what what Herod did to build up the whole mountain and then put the Temple Mount on there, right? It was literally six times the size, the project, 
that the Colosseum was. Now, the Colosseum was bigger in terms of the structure, but it's, isn't that interesting? Do you know what that's called? A fact. Now, is that going to save my life? No. Was that interesting? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but, hey, is that going to change your world? Probably not. But there's nothing wrong with facts and data and information. Right? As you're driving down the road and you see the speed limit sign, what is that called? Facts. Information. It's data. And you better take that in. So there's nothing wrong with the data. And there's nothing wrong with information. And, and hey, read a textbook. And so again, I'm not downplaying the academics, but the academics is not the end goal. And again, you should study academics. Everyone good? <laughs> Everyone out there good too? <clears throat> Uh, the second word for the word knowledge in, in, in Greek uh, is the word oido, which is spelled O-I-D-A. And uh, oida, uh, and if you want to see this, you can turn to John uh, chapter 14. Uh, but oida has this idea, again, it's not, <coughs> excuse me, it's not facts, data, information, that's nostos. Oida has the idea of perception or understanding. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, it's translated to see. Uh, Jesus looked and he saw them, but it's not that he saw them physically with his eyeballs as much as he perceived in his mind and saw them. Uh, for example, he's sitting in a room and all the Pharisees are there, and it says that he saw the Pharisees and he knew their heart. Oh, so he saw their hearts. No. He did not, like, open up their chests and go, oh, there it is. It's, it's pumping just fine. It, that's not happening, right? What is he doing? He's looking in their life, and he's perceiving something. Just like I am looking out at you, and I am perceiving that some of you are a little tired. <laughs> Maybe that's just my own life, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting that upon you. But, but does that make sense? It's a perception thing. We do this all the time, right? You're talking to your best friend, and you notice they're just kind of a little cold, and you're like, what's going on? I'm fine. No, you're not. Well, how do you know? I see you. Right? It's, it's, a, it's, it's oida. And it's not just you're physically seeing, because you could be on the phone and not physically see them, and yet you know by the tone of their voice and how they're, you know, their, their enunciations, and you're like, you have a problem. What's the problem? I'm fine. No, you're not. What's the problem? I'm fine. What's the problem? Well, how do you know? I'm seeing you. No, you can't. It's a phone. We are not on FaceTime, Right? So how do you know? Well, I, I have this, there's a perception. Why do we need to have that with Jesus? That you just know him so well, there's a, you just see him. You just perceive him. In fact, it's interesting, and it's our passage in John 14, uh, Jesus has been doing ministry for three solid years. And he's had these 12 disciples with him for three solid years. Hey, they've been eating together and sleeping together, you know, sleeping in, uh, around the campfire and they're roasting hot dogs and, and doing all this phenomenal ministry. And, and there's, there's been three solid years of interaction and being with Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? You would think at the end of three years, you would have a clue of what Jesus is doing. And yet we know through the scriptures that they, had no, they, they still had no clue. In fact, in John 14, verse 5, Thomas comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, we do not oida where you are going. How can we oida the way? In other words, Jesus, we do not see, we do not see where you're going. Well, Thomas, I'm, see this path? I'm heading that direction. That's not what Jesus, that's not what Thomas is even asking. 
Thomas is saying, Lord, we've been with you for three years. We have no clue what's going on. So could you somehow bring us in? Could you give us a perception? Could you give us a clue? Isn't that interesting? And Jesus says, all right, let me, let me clue you in here. Let me give you the concept. Uh, l- let me give you the perception, the, uh, the sight that I want you to have. And what is that? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Hey, Thomas, you want a perspective? Here's the perspective, me. Hey, you, you, you want insight? You want the, the ability to see where we're heading? It's me. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Isn't it great if Jesus is the life? Not just he has life, he is the life. Which means if he is the life, then anything outside of Jesus brings death. I found that to be true in my life. The moment I want anything outside of him, it only produces death in my life. He's truth. It's not that he has truths. He is truth itself. Which means anytime I get anything outside of Jesus, ultimately it's going to be a lie. Because truth is not facts, truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. Well, I thought he's the destination. He is. But you're telling me the path to that destination is Jesus. Right. So the way to the way is the way. I still love that. I just think that's awesome. Think about it later. Anyway. So Jesus says, hey, you want perception? Hey, you want the light bulb to turn on? Which would be kind of like our way of saying it in our, in our culture. Right? Oh, I see it. And it's not, again, that you see it physically. It's that you see it mentally. Right? You're talking to somebody, and it's kind of, and it's kind of dark, and you're like, oh, it's a little hazy. It's a little confusing. And then you go, oh, Eureka! The light bulb has turned on. What is that? That's oida. So again, we have nostos, which is facts, data, information. We have oida, which is perception and understanding. In fact, the idea in, in the Greek, in the oida, is that somehow... If there was a box and you could put everything about that concept in the box, you, could, you, would, you would see the totality of the box. You would understand what's going on in the box. That's the idea of oida. And then there is my favorite. Oh, my favorite Greek word, which is gnosko. And if you want that spelling, it's G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Isn't that funny how you, when you're like trying to spell it, you don't have it written down, you have like, it's like you write it in the air. Anyway, that's how my brain works, I guess. Gnosko. And uh, this is all over Scripture. And, I mean, it's, it's rare that I, I read a book of, of the New Testament specifically where the word gnosko doesn't show up. I mean, this thing is, I mean, it is just everywhere. Now, again, nostos has this idea of facts, data, information. Oida has this idea of perception, understanding. Gnosko is knowledge. It's knowing something, but it's knowing something through experience, or relationship. And you, you've encountered it. Again, my, one of my favorite illustrations of this. Uh, you're driving down the road and you see a sign. And the sign says 35. And you go, oh, I know the speed limit. Well, how'd you know it? Oh, I nostosed it. Yeah, it's just facts and data and information. You know, I was driving down the road and I saw a sign. It said 35. Did you encounter it? No, it's just information to me. Now, I'm driving down that same road, 
And as I'm driving down the road, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a party going on behind me. <sighs> and I love parties. It just, it just sounds fun. And there's these flashing lights, and this music is playing. And I realize, hey, maybe I should pull over to the side of the road so I could participate in the party. And so I pull over, and there's this man who comes out of this party vehicle. He's in a full party uniform with a party hat. And he comes over, and he knocks on my window and says, oh, sir, I want to invite you to my party. But in order for you to participate in the party, I'm going to need to see your license and your registration. And I go, oh, absolutely, I want to participate in the party. So I grab my license and my registration, and I hand my license and my registration to the party man. And the party man goes back to the party vehicle, and he does something on his party computer. And he, do you know what he does? He comes back, and he gives me this receipt, this yellow receipt that is a proof, a guarantee that I got to participate in the party. And I got to pay $247, woo, to participate in the party. Now, you come up to me and you say, Nathan, on that road over there, what's the speed limit? And I go, 35 miles an hour. And you go, how do you know that? Because I experienced it. See, that is entirely different knowledge than seeing a sign. See, I can see a sign, and hey, that should, be that should be sufficient, at least for that illustration. But some of us are dumb. Some of us don't get a clue. So we get to experience the speed limit. And you realize the moment you experience it, you know it on a whole different level. Wouldn't it be interesting to know Jesus like that? Where it's not just, well, I know about him. You actually know him because you've experienced him. You have relationship with him. That, that Christianity doesn't just become some theoretical thing. It's like, wow, wouldn't that be interesting? Wow, that's such a great concept. And then you just try to go and you mimic some kind of a concept. What if it actually was life itself because you had the one who is alive living inside of you, and you were getting to experience the reality of Jesus in your life. Do you know what we call that? We call that Christianity. Because Christianity isn't about facts and data and information. In fact, you can have all the facts and data and information die and still go to hell. And you can prove that because, hey, the demons know all the facts and data and information. Satan quotes scripture. So obviously, it's not knowing scripture that gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven? Relationship. It's intimacy. In fact, turn over a couple of pages to John chapter 17, and uh, Jesus even says this. <clears throat> In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer, which is just absolutely incredible. And as he gets into verse 3, he begins to describe what eternal life is. Now again, I don't know about you, but... I've always wondered, what is eternal life? Is it just longevity? I get to live forever? No. Because good people live forever. Bad people live forever. People who go to heaven live forever. People who go to hell live forever. So it's not longevity. So it has to be something more than, well, I get to live forever. So what is that? Well, it is quality because... <laughs> Heaven and hell is a, quite a quality difference, right? Because it's, it's, they're both eternal. It's either eternal bliss in the reality of heaven with Jesus or it's eternal damnation in the fires of hell, which is miserable. I mean, there's no words to describe the horrible of this. 
but it's not longevity. So what's eternal life then? Jesus says, verse, seven, or verse 3 of chapter 17 of John, this is eternal life that they might gnosko you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know what eternal life is? Relationship. It's experiencing Jesus. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's actually knowing Jesus. It's not just having a picture of Jesus on your wall. It's actually having him in your life. It's not just, well, I, I can quote the books of the Bible. Good for you. But this is, this is more than that. This is not why I attend church and I go to Sunday school and I pay the preacher $50. Please do those things. But hey, that's not going to get you into heaven. What's going to get you into heaven? Relationship. See, it all comes down to, hey, have you experienced the reality of life? Have you experienced Jesus? Do you actually have Jesus? That's the whole point here. And it's not, again, it's not bad to have the facts, data, and the information, but facts, data, information is not going to save you. What's going to save you? A person whose name is Jesus. And you've actually got to have relationship, experience, intimacy, oneness with him. Now, we'll talk more about this throughout the week. Uh, but flip over to uh, Ephesians. I'm going to give you one other example here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> I love this passage. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14, uh, Paul is praying the second prayer that he has in the book of Ephesians. And he says, says some incredible things, but uh, as you get down into verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul says that, again, verse 17, he says, hey, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. And that's an incredible part of his prayer. But verse 18, he says that he's praying that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth of the length, the depth, the height, get this, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And what's interesting in verse 19 is he's using both the words gnosko and the word, uh, a word that's derivative from the word nostos. And the idea is, Paul says, oh, that you would know the height, the depth, the width, the length, the, just the incredible reality of God's love, which is overwhelming, and you cannot fully describe it. He says, but I want you to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. The word knowledge, again, goes back to the facts, data, information stuff. He says, hey, you, hey, you could have the facts, data, information about God's love, but that is not going to help you. How's that going to help you? Well, God's love is immeasurable. Oh, that's good. God's love is great. Woo, that's wonderful. God is love, 1 John 4, 1 Satan 16. Woo, that's powerful. But that's just information. Paul says, you know what my prayer for you is? Oh, I want you to gnosko and experience and get wrapped up in the love of God, which goes so far beyond just having information about it. Isn't that true? A chocolate donut. Oh. Or ice cream. Well, whatever it is you want to, whatever you want to pick. A carrot, whatever, right? You healthy people, right? You know. <clears throat> but here's this chocolate donut. It's the best chocolate donut in the world. It's been calculated. 
It's been tested. This is hands down the best chocolate donut. You now know that. What good is that? I don't want that. What do I want to do? Experience it. And that's what Paul is saying here in the passage. He says, what good is information about the love of God if you don't experience the love of God? He goes, so my prayer for you is that, hey, and if you want to be filled with the fullness of God, you've got to experience God. You've got to actually allow him to just over and envelop you and just grab a hold of you, and you begin to have intimacy and experience, and it starts to change how you think and live and the realities of your life because, love of God has consumed me. Not just, well, I've got some information for you. Yep, pull out your notebooks. Here, let's get some. I've got a test. Again, it's not that this is bad over here. It's just, why would you want to look at the chocolate donut when you can partake of the chocolate donut? Why, why would you want to talk about who God is rather than, oh, I get to experience him in my life. And that all goes back to this idea of intimacy, relationship which is the word gnosko. Again, knowledge, not knowing through facts, standing information. It's not bad, but it's not knowing something factually. It's not just having perception and, oh, I, I, I'm starting to see it. I'm, starting to, hey, I'm getting a clue here. It's knowing something because, wow, I've experienced it. I, I know something because, wow, it's, it's changing my life. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, ex, I, I'm, I'm knowing it because, wow, I'm partaking of it. You know what you're to have with Jesus? And your Christian life can't just be about facts and data and information. Your Christian life just can't be about, well, yeah, I attend Sunday school and I, hey, I did Bible quizzing and, I, hey, I pray to pay the preacher $50 kind of stuff. But what's your Christian life supposed to be about? Jesus. Not merely knowing about Jesus, but actually getting wrapped up in relationship with Jesus. That's changed my life. And this weekend, as I've been reflecting on 15 years of just pondering this, you realize this just gets bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. Because Jesus, as you get to know Jesus, and you begin to experience Jesus, you realize that there's no end to it. He is God himself. And we can spend all eternity going after him, and we'll never reach the fullness of who he is. Why? Because he is so big and so immense. I want to drown in that. I don't want to just skim the surface of who he is. I want to experience, or as Paul says at the end of verse 19, being filled with the fullness of who he is. I don't even know if that's fully possible because he's so much bigger than I am. So how's a little cup going to experience the fullness of the ocean? Well, it's not. You cannot fit the fullness of the ocean in a little tiny cup. And yet somehow, when that cup is full of the ocean, it's experiencing the fullness of the ocean, even though it doesn't have the fullness of the ocean. So anyway, so this week what I want to be doing is I want to take that as a foundation concept and begin to expand on it and begin to work through this. And again, I, I'm doing this more personally for my life because I've just been freshly thinking through this idea and just realizing, wow, I, I, I want this more than ever. I'm hungering after him more than ever. And, and I want 2020 this year to be such a year where my intimacy with Jesus so deepens and expands and grows. And see, I do not want to be the same at the end of the year as I am right now. 
See, I, I want God to change my life. I want God to deepen me. I want to somehow experience him more. And yeah, I, I want more academics. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But see, <clears throat> we'll talk about this later in the week, but I want the academics to drive me to greater intimacy with him. And what would it look like at the end of this year as I look back upon this year, I go, wow, this was the year where I knew Jesus. Not just knew about him, but I truly experienced the living God in my life. Well, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that we don't just have to know about you. You didn't just give us a book to give us information. Uh, that This isn't just about facts and data and details. Lord, this is about life and experiencing you, partaking of you, living with you, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, I do want to learn more about you. That's true. And this year, Lord, I do want a greater perception of you and understanding of you. But Lord, more than anything else, I, I want to gnosko you. I want to experience the living God. I want to get wrapped up in the fullness of who you are. I want to get drenched in your presence. And somehow, Lord, this year, may my, my life be consumed with you. Not just details about you, but actually you. Because the phenomenal reality of the New Testament is that you live inside of my life. And it's not a mere theory. You're actually living in my life via the Holy Spirit. So I can experience you. I can know you like that. Lord, that's my longing. That's my prayer. Oh, We need you, Jesus. Oh, we want you. And we do love you. Oh, to know you more. Deep within our souls, we want to know you. We want to gnosko you more. Because this thing only grows. Lord, we love you. Thank you for just the opportunities that we have this, this day to pursue you and know you more. Lord, we just want to give you the praise and the glory for you are worthy. We love you. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day week or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.